Good morning. I'm Karen Audubonny. This is TKO. On the air with me this morning is Matt Kendall, Mendocino County Sheriff. Let me get you on. Are you there, Matt? I am. I am. Good morning. Get a little closer to your mic, sir. That How's would... this sound? Is that any better? That's a little better. Yeah, we got it turned up. So Matt and I are here this morning. I've got Matt on because um, this man is a great writer. Can I just say that? Uh, he puts out these great uh, little um, updates for the community on what's going on in the Sheriff's Department. He did really good one. I think a good one for the end of the year of 2022, which is just about done. Um, and you can get that. You can go to the website, the sheriff's website you could also go to facebook mendo sheriff facebook and you can see it it was just really a good summary and a little bit of historical perspective the last few years can can um comparing 2022 to the last couple of years so matt welcome to the air thank you last time for this year sir you well, made thanks for having me on karen how'd we do through the storm we doing okay we did pretty well we did pretty well we had a couple of really heavy portions of rain there and and what always concerns me is culverts plugging up oh yeah you can see throughout the county pg&e has had contractors doing a lot of different work and when that brush hits the ground sometimes that makes it to a culvert and that is a frightening thing people don't realize how deep water is when they see it on the road well only that how much water hydropower is incredible and it can take everybody out very very easily i know that it's pretty incredible um yeah i know that the highway 128 flooded for a few hours then the mouth opened up and it was fine that worked out pretty good um we we're supposed to have terrible terrible winds um i'm up high where i usually get it didn't seem as bad as i thought i I actually had the chainsaw on the car today, figuring maybe their branch is down. So, so that's good. So let's take a look back on 2022. Um, you were comparing things in your letter about um, murders and rates of suicides and everything that your offices had to deal with all year. Uh, how are you feeling about the last couple of years? It looks like uh, the rates of a lot of these things are down, but that could be the times or who knows what. Well, there's, there's a bunch of different factors in there. So our murder rates went down, but you have to remember, um, I believe we had nine murders, excuse me, eight murders last year, but 50% of those murders occurred in illegal marijuana grows. Ah. And so we had four that occurred in illegal marijuana grows, and then um, we are not seeing the number of illegal marijuana grows now. So, you know, those... Those stats are dropping off. Um, my marijuana sergeant went out and flew in May and came in with a report for me. Um, and he basically said, hey, you know, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is it looks like we are 35 to 40 percent fewer illegal marijuana grows in Mendocino County. Wow. However, the bad news is the ones that stayed and are illegal have increased in size by roughly 30 percent. So, you know, that's a little bit of a trade-off. But to be honest with you, Karen, I would much rather deal with 50 grows that are 50,000 plants than 500 grows that are 500 plants. It's, you know, the movement of equipment and the writing of search warrants, things like that. It's easier. It's 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 that volume and scale it's easier for us to deal with the big ones all in one shot and sometimes it'll take us a couple of days to get it dealt with however 
um, we get more done when they're when they're larger and we can get out there and jump on them. Takes me back to years ago when we were uh, you were hitting all the camp and comet were hitting all the big grows the 15 15,000 20,000 in um off of on private land or not private land, on public land in the forests and stuff those were the days when it was easier to go in and raid the big ones so do you think the volume of marijuana or the the amount of farms and stuff have really pulled back i mean the numbers so we don't have as many grows as we did before yeah and a lot of it's based on economics oh yeah of course yeah. And, and you have to understand that we we see in, in Mendocino County some people who have been very successful um, growing marijuana at a time when the price was high because there is some terraforming that goes on. If you can't grow corn up on a hillside that grows a lot of manzanita, then in order to grow marijuana up there, you're going to have to um, basically haul the soil, haul the water. All of these things are expensive. Very much so. So um, as far as... Um abatement or actually cracking down how many how many do you think how many gardens did you guys take out this year did you even keep track i mean uh, i had some stats on that i don't oh, that's know okay. that it's a, less me. than last year pretty much less than last year uh fewer fewer sites more plants okay well, um that. and i believe more firearms um oh. and the other thing that we're looking at and I think it's something that we have to think about. We're looking at a lot of these folks when we contact them in marijuana grows, and we're trying to find out, are you the victim of human trafficking? Um, it, there is some of that that goes on. And so we've been looking at that really hard. Um, we've identified a couple of people who absolutely were trafficked, um, paying off a debt for getting across the border. Um, and when we showed up, uh, we were able to get them some services and get them hooked up with some people who, uh, you know, our victim witness office. And we've had several of these trainings and whatnot that have gone on with this this coalition that myself and four other sheriffs formed in Northern California. Um, and so that's been really good for us. And I think that we need to let people know Changed the perception in the exact same fashion that I didn't know what a blood diamond was, but now nobody buys a blood diamond um, because I, I I wasn't aware of it until I you know began to see the media reporting and whatnot. And you know if people want to smoke marijuana, hey, great, please get it at a legal source. Yeah, that the whole thing of the human trafficking has just started um, really surfacing in the media and being exposed, I think, like you said, because before we, you just weren't meeting, you weren't getting into those kind of situations, I think, as much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, I mean, marijuana is a big thing. It, the, the demographics of it has changed so much, even in the last five years. It just blows me away. I mean, the ma's and pa's are kind of retired because of the costs and the black market is kind of like dropped. And even I think even the you know legal market has dropped so bad that a lot of people are pulling out of it. Um, yeah, it does have an impact on the county, especially the budget, because now that it's legal, the county, you know, coffers are not getting what they had anticipated. So it does have a big ripple effect. Yeah. Um, so 
Uh, it looks like the murder rate, we're down. We don't have as many murders this year. It doesn't seem like you said gunfire going on as much, um, which is good news. I don't know if that's something we can count on continuing to d- decrease. That's such a random event from what I've seen. Um, and then you're working on um, one of the other things you uh, had uh, posted about in this letter article is that um, you're having really good success with sending out healthcare workers to deal with people who are um, in a crisis and you don't need to send out your deputies or if you do they stand back in the mental health because that's a fairly recent thing we've only been doing this a couple years right that you bring yeah we began that program in 2021 okay yeah so you know that the stats that I put out, those are the cases that we have taken where a deputy writes a report. Um, that's not the number of calls for service we've gotten on it. We, we we get a lot of calls for service, but almost all of those calls for service are dealt with in the exact same fashion where a behavioral health or a mental health caseworker goes out with the deputy and they make contact and they begin providing services. And we went from, let me pull that up real quick. Hang on just a second here. Well, I'm looking at the numbers. It says 2020, you had 95 in- investigations in which you were subject called due to mental health and dual response. And it was um, 2021 was 64 cases. Are we looking at the same numbers there, sir? Yes. And then in 2022, we dropped down to 39. So that is like a 50% reduction. Yeah. And that, and the other thing is those those folks that uh, that you know, we went out and, and provided the service with with the, with the mental health worker, they're, they're making a relationship with this mental health worker. And because when you get to know someone, you, you know what their needs truly are. And we're seeing less of a repeat customer because those folks are actually getting what they truly need at the moment, as opposed to kind of a shotgun effect. Maybe this will work, maybe this won't. Um, because of this relationship, people are beginning to understand, you know, what the true needs are. And when those needs are met, we don't run into them again. And, and they go about their, you know, their lives doing good things. I have to say that this is one of the most um, thrilling aspects of this um, or to see this happen in our county. I mean, because I, I watch the, the logging, the bookings that come out every week, every day, and it seems like the majority of those are repeat offenders, and it's drug, it's mental health issues, it's people on the lower um, economic scale in the county. And to throw, you know, to have, to have, so it just seems so positive to finally be getting mental health out there and have backup. They've got the backup for the sheriff and stuff that goes wrong, but yeah, it just seems so effective and it's working so well. Um, I'm just really proud of our community for having done that, that stepped up and, and taken the reins and doing that. I mean, I hear about all these cases over the United States. Somebody called for, you know, mental health issues and there's ended up being shot. You know, yeah. you hear about I'm You see it on the news all the time. And it's just the most terrifying thing. You, you know, I'm sure people are afraid to call when they have mental health issues going on or domestic violent issues going on because they're afraid, you know, could end up in gunplay. So, yeah, congratulations on that, Matt. And whoever's on the other side with the mental health, please tell them it's just it's just so positive. It's such a good turnaround for you guys 
and the people that it's happening to. So I just think those numbers are just great. So let me just take a minute. I'm Karen Audubonny. This is TKO. Uh, with me today is Mendocino County Sheriff uh, Matt Kendall. And we're kind of doing an end of the year wrap up before we go into our new year. So that's a real good positive thing that's going on. Um, the other thing I was that I've never talked about and you and I've never talked about is your search and rescue team. Oh, they've yeah. been they've been doing a lot and they've been i you know i, I follow facebook with you guys and i get posted um they've had some really incredible uh searches this year that uh has worked out and that, that gets a heck of a crew are you in charge of that or who's actually oversees the search and rescue well <clears throat> the search and rescue replaced what was the sheriff's policy back in the 1950s and so they're assigned uh, to the sheriff's office I have a couple of liaisons and a search and rescue leader. Um, I have a lieutenant who's in charge of that. And then I've got a couple of sergeants who are the search and rescue liaisons. They make a decision about when search and rescue is called out and whatnot. And then we've got a deputy sheriff who is, you know, kind of assigned as a, an ancillary duty to that. And because of the training and the tools that these folks have gotten over the years, and, and you have to remember Sheriff, Sheriff Allman's retirement dinner, um, brought a lot of funding in because 100% of the proceeds from his retirement dinner went to the search and rescue. And so they began to get some more tools and things like that. And you have to remember when COVID hit, all of a sudden, the only thing that was really safe to do was not to gather with others, but going for a hike in the woods, going for, and when you think about it in a weird way, it got people back out onto those trails, hiking, rafting, doing the things that we used to do when we were kids in Mendocino County before we all had cell phones. And so we had over one call out per week in 2021. That has dropped down. I think we had 39 in 2022. Other counties are asking for our team specifically that 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 horrible incident in Nevada County. Sheriff Moon got a hold of me and said, I, I need some young, strong people who can really cover some ground. Our team was called specifically up there. Um, and, and Shannon expressed a lot of gratitude because everybody came together. That young lady was 16 years old, 17 years old, somewhere in there. It was just a horrific thing. But um, they received the Blue Ribbon Award at the fair this year, and it's because we are really, truly getting on the cutting edge for the entire our region, which is, you know, the northwestern portion of California. Um, these guys stand out. Yeah. Well, how many people are involved in the search and rescue team? Do you know a um, number? I've seen it, it, I've seen at least 20, 30 people standing in a, in a group when they're getting ready to go out, I think. Yeah, and you, I, I believe that we've got... Uh, don't quote me on this. I believe we've got about 60 volunteers in there. Oh, great. So we've somebody, got some young folks, too, who have an incredible cardiovascular <laughs> system that I am quite jealous of. There you go. Yeah, they can really hike these hills. Um, so if somebody was interested in getting involved in the search and rescue, how would they find it out? Do they have a website? Do they have, is that under you? Yes. Okay. SAR has a website. And okay. then uh, we're trying to recruit some young people who enjoy the outdoors. But we also recruit some young people who are good with mapping, with good with computers, because that has become a huge portion of the way that we do searches now is we do a lot of pre-work, loading up coordinates, getting these maps out, making decisions about the best place to put our resources. And so even folks who have got that, uh, that, that computer skill, we need them. Are you guys using drones for that? I just thought about that. So that's, yeah, a, that's a good those. one. And 
the reason why we went to those is is especially in the evenings um uh, on the cool evenings we've got one with a flur unit um, and we can search a hundred acre field area you know in roughly an hour that's great so people that have skills with those would be needed too i mean yes. that's not something you just pick up and get good with so uh, that's good all right so um that's good to know search and rescue was a good one um then I know we want to, I wanted to get a little bit talking about your budget and how it's going. Um, we keep hearing about the county's broke. Um, how did you wrap up your year in the budget? I know our cycle, just so listeners know, most listeners know that listen to me know our budget for the county runs June 30th to July 1st of each year. So we're in the middle of a budget technically, but, um, it looks like uh, going into the next year, you're not asking for a lot more than you had this year, pretty much consistent with what it's been every year. Um, so how are you feeling about your budget and what's what's happening? Well, we're coming in pretty close to being dead on the money, um, but a lot of that is because we're working really well with the public defender's office over at the jail uh, and, and the court system. We're doing a lot more video arrangements and whatnot. And you know, Jeff Aaron, our public defender, um, he's easy to work with. Um, he, of course, is looking out for his clients, but he's also got to live on a budget as well. And so the district attorney, the uh, the public defender and myself, we've all got to work together to meet the needs uh, for the judiciary. But a lot of our um, arraignments and whatnot, they're going on on video now. I'm using... Um, the old Donovan room, we moved OES over towards the county administration building, and we're having more attorney contact over there in the old Donovan room. And the other thing is it creates greater safety because almost all escape attempts and things like that, they occur during transportation. And so when we move um, incarcerated peoples from the jail through a secured hallway right up to an area where they meet with their attorney and they do the video arraignments and whatnot, we aren't taking them out of the secured area. We will not have escape attempts. We won't have assaults. We won't have things like that. And it's reduced the number of uh, trips that we have to make to the courthouse. It's reduced overtime. It's reduced mileage on vehicles. And those are the types of things that when we get tight, we need to find those little wins because you stack up eight or ten of those, and then that's where you make up those budget shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, th this whole thing with COVID has been a you know terrible thing to have to experience, but it's also created a lot of interesting opportunities for us to do these things like this. I've been seeing, um, you know, I monitor some of the court cases over the United States just to see how things are going, and. Uh, a lot of the court systems are doing what, we're, what you're talking about, doing arraignments and some, they're even doing some trials by Zoom and that kind of thing too. Not if you have a jury situation, but uh, it's really, and it does free up a lot of your time and it, it frees up money too that you're not spending. So um, congratulations on everybody getting creative. I hope that continues on because I think it's a reasonable, I think it's a reasonable situation for you and your deputies and also for the defendants too for a pretrial stuff like that. That works out really well. Seems like it saves the cost of a lot of things. So look at the thing that we've yeah. kind of implemented, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're going great. Yeah. What was it? So they had the Humphreys decision where they were talking about cash bail. And, and a lot of the things in the Humphrey decision makes perfect sense. If you are a poor person who 
are, let's just say that you, you made a mistake. You're a young man who did something foolish, and I'm sorry, I've been a young man. I've done plenty of foolish things. Um, right there with you. <laughs> yeah. If you are don't have a silver spoon, you sit in jail until you see the judge. And then the defense and the prosecution will argue for factors in mitigation and aggravation about whether you released on OR. Um, we have now been working with probation where that pretrial release program and probation is going in and getting a lot of information and they're providing that to the judges and the judges are making a very informed decision at the time of arraignment. Um, our jail is running, you know, roughly 250 inmates, whereas before it was running 330. We've only had one or two people in the last, I believe we've been up and running on this for about five or six months now one or two people who have offended while out on OR. And that is a huge reduction because the judges are given more information. And these are good people. They, they, they're trying to make the absolute best decision for public safety and uh, for the victim and the offender. And so, you know, this is helping as well. That's good to hear because there's a lot of rumors going around. Oh, they just bump somebody out and they're reoffending, and there's all these reoffenders when they're on, you know, when they're out of jail on bail and all this stuff. So this is good to hear the actual numbers. That's not, well, you know, ru- rumors COVID, fly. During COVID, we did not have that system in place. It was simply oh. a bail system, and we were having people reoffend immediately walking out the door. Oh. But now they actually have to see the judge first before they're released and the judge makes a decision on it and the judge is given just a plethora of information to make a good decision oh good well that's good that that part is working because i was hearing some crazy stuff that was going on around that and i know the communities were getting concerned how are we doing i know your budget is doing pretty consistent that how are you doing on hires i know you had an interview this morning and another one after the show and you slotted us in between your interviews i've heard i think i saw you hired a couple new people so how are you doing on personnel we're coming up slowly. We're, our numbers are coming up slowly. But you have to remember, um, there is a vacuum in the police service throughout the United States, not just the state of California. And when police academies that would normally open the doors to 40 students now have 12 or 15, those 12 or 15 students become a very expensive commodity because everybody is fighting for them. And We've hired a lot of our local people. Um, I've hired a couple of young men off the reservation up in Covalo who are just dandies. These are incredible young men. And but a couple of them, I grew up with their parents. You hey, know, there you go. Proud. I worked for one of their grandfathers. Um, and those are the local people who are going to stay here who are not going to be enticed away by other counties. Right. They got family. That's why it's nice to get locals to get back, come back and get back involved in our communities and stuff. So how many how many deputies are you still trying to um, get? You were down like 23 or 24, weren't you? In the jail. And then we were down, I believe, I believe 15 on roughly 15 on patrol. We've hired a couple of new patrol deputies lately. Um, We hired six in October for the jail. Um, And granted, you know, we'll hire six and two will leave to another county, uh, things like that. But right now we're down, I believe, a dozen, 13 in the jail and uh, I think eight on patrol. And so those numbers are coming up and uh, they're looking a lot better for us. How are we doing with resident deputies? 
Well, How you doing? Yeah. yeah, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I know yeah. you guys can't see it. He's on Zoom with he's shaking his head. I know every I'm Anderson Valley is still, you know, trying to get a resident deputy. Yeah. So um I know we're I know we're on your list, but uh is Well, that... I just hired one young man from Anderson Valley. Um, I'm sending him to the police academy. He'll be leaving for the police academy. I introduced him yesterday. Uh, but from the time that I hire somebody and shake their hand and say, Congratulations, young man or young lady, you're hired. Yeah. And they go to the police academy and then they get off training before i get one honest day's work out of them it's almost a year yeah and they i would yeah and you don't want to put a newbie into a valley by themselves when they haven't been yeah trained or not trained but don't have the on ground on on the on the on the beat running experience i would think so all right, folks, I'm Karen Audubon. This is TKO, and today my guest is Matt Kendall, and we're just all over the chart with what's going on with the county of Mendocino and how we're doing. Uh, I'm glad to hear you got some guys up in Covalo, because that's always been a pretty difficult area to get uh, uh, deputies up there, so that's a good one to hear. Uh, yeah, well, I've hired those young men, and uh, I believe that when they go to patrol, they're going to be working the north. And so I'm not exactly sure where they will land. Some of it depends on where they want to be. And um, once people get trained up and we get to make some decisions about where to place them, we want to put them where they're going to fit with the communities. Good to know. Good to know. So uh, people can look forward to having some new deputies uh, in the coming year and up the numbers. That will be nice because we've been short for quite a while. When we were, we're talking about uh, the budget a little bit and, and getting uh, deputies involved in that, um, one of the things around the budget is there's the big there's this whole big thing that keeps coming up at the supervisors' meetings that I do watch um, about the new jail we have to be putting together, which is state mandated, by the way, folks. This is just not an idea that the sheriff and the board of supervisors came up with. <laughs> this is a state mandated update to our jail. Um, it seems like it's been in the discussion at the board level for I don't know how many years, how many Matt two, three, four years, maybe longer. Four years now. Four, four years. years. Yes, it's really been four years. So, of course, in those four years, the numbers to build this addition, which is mandated by the state, have, you know, doubled, tripled, something like that, haven't they? Gone up by about a third. Yeah, there you go. So, how um, how's that going behind the scenes? Are you, you're not in charge of getting the money for that, are you? You don't have to go out and run that no and the way that the way that it works is basically the county owns the buildings that i am in um the personnel work for me but the county owns the buildings now um i've been speaking with some of our legislators and uh, some people out of the sacramento area basically explaining that the time that it takes to get these things done drives the cost up covid has driven the cost up because of supply shortages and things like that and if you can't get cmu block and, and steel rebar um if there's a shortage of it, you pay more for it. And so what I'm trying to do is to get the state to understand that a lot of the things where, honestly, I'll be very clear on this, the state has drugged their feet on some things. And a lot of it wasn't their fault. It was COVID and their people were trying to take the best precautions, but it still drove the, the price up. And so this, this $22 million that we were given 
um, that should have built the jail four years ago. Now we're about a third under. I believe that we're going to be over somewhere between four and six million by the time that we're done. And so I want the state to pick up that gap and not put it on the taxpayers. Yeah, that just seems reasonable. I'm hoping the supervisors are backing you on that and talking to our state reps because um, I will just say one of our state reps, Jim Wood, was uh, spoke before the Board of Supervisors a couple of weeks ago, and when I was listening, I didn't hear the supervisors bring up, hey, dude, we need money for our jails. So that was a little bit disappointing, but maybe they'll get on it behind the scenes because we haven't even broken ground, have we? No, we've got just about everything through the fire marshal's office. Everything is looking good. Um, I believe that we're going to break ground here sometime in the next few months. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't realize it was that soon. All right. Uh, we're, you know, it's, it seems like it's coming quickly, but it sure has been a long time in the making. You know, we're in the last 15 minutes before we take that cake out of the oven right now. Yeah, pretty much. And so explain just a little bit to, to the listeners who don't know and haven't been following that this is a, an addition. This is a whole new wing. Is it specifically for certain um, inmates? Uh, what What's this new building going to be used for? So basically, um, a lot of programming issues and things like that for people who have severe mental health issues and have committed crimes, and also um, more of kind of a maximum security, because the way that jails were built previously, we housed misdemeanors. We did. Um, We housed loggers and fishermen who got a third drunk driving. Um, When I was a young fella and first started over here, I was amazed. Uh, in 1990, we started building the new wing of the jail, and every morning I got a bunch of you know young fellas up and said, "Come on, fellas, uh, go over there and work with the contractors. You're going to be painting today." And these guys would take their lunch sack and they'd go over and paint. These, I mean, they were serving misdemeanor crimes because that's what they had committed. Now, with AB 109 and various other things, we have taken on a lot of the state's responsibility, and we're getting about 60 cents on the dollar to deal with it. Because a lot of the crimes that were committed uh, that would go to state prison had been reclassified as a nonviolent offense, and now they're housed in county jail. And I can keep an inmate for seven, eight, 12 years. County jails were not built to keep inmates over 365 days. Really? Five to seven years? I did not know that, Matt. Wow. Wow. And on top of it, I don't think with all the labor laws and all of that building and all the codes and everything now that you can send the guys over to do painting anymore either because you can't do anything volunteer-wise on a state or county property. It all has to be run through the county's departments, correct? Yeah, and so many things have changed over the last 30 years. And, you know, here's the other thing. Those fellas who were here 30 years ago they did not want to sit in jail and watch television for 18 hours a day and then go to bed um every one of them wanted to be out on the county road crew cleaning up garbage uh, picking up every one of them wanted to be over painting on the new jail every one of them wanted all of us want to get up in the morning and do something productive we do so can you even take the guys out on the or gals on the road to do cleanup anymore you can't even do that can you that used to have uh-huh. remember that yeah, and wow. we don't have that program anymore. I don't have the personnel to do it also. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking for new and exciting ways to keep these guys uh, going to college, uh, taking, taking uh, high school d- diplomas, uh, things like that. This time that is spent in here should not be time as warehoused. It should be time where you build yourself 
you you should walk out the door better off than when you came in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, um, you had the garden project going and the bees and the chickens and all that. That's still going, right? Yes. Yes. We okay. were able to uh, rehire the, uh, the the gardener there, and he's an incredible teacher. Um, I've sat right. through some of his classes, and and because I'm getting ready to go out and work on the beehives with the guys and I'll sit through the classes and I learn things. And, and my wife has a green thumb. Our place looks beautiful. I've never been much help I, it, with the exception of hauling the wheelbarrow around and, and doing what I'm told. I'm actually learning things from this guy. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that project was still going because I think that's really important for getting the um, people rehabbed and getting them out and with some constructive skills and just a willing to go out and do the things that they could do. One of the things, um, one of the things I wanted to jump to is we're talking to budget again and numbers and all of that. Um, you had had a suggestion on the table to the board of supervisors about dispatch. I don't know that I quite understand the the topic much, but that I know that if I have an emergency, I dial nine one one. That's what we're supposed to do. And um, from what I had gathered, that goes to Howard Forest, the big uh, forestry department up on Willits. Is that how dispatch works? How does it? How does the system work if I dial nine one one? Well, <clears throat> cellular nine one ones have come way, way further than what they had been. If you dial nine one one while you're on a highway, you will most likely hit CHP dispatch. If you dial nine one one from your home, you will hit the sheriff's office dispatch, and we will route you. If it's a police call, it comes to us. If it's a fire or EMS call, it's immediately routed over. We hit a button, and it goes over to Howard Forest dispatch. And if you live in the city of Willits, you go to Willits Police Department's dispatch. If you live in the city of Fort Bragg, um, they they uh, contract with the Ukiah Police Department, so you'll hit Ukiah PD's dispatch. Um, and, of course, Ukiah dispatches for Ukiah. But we've had a lot of discussions about combining our dispatch centers, um, especially at times when, and I'm knocking on wood right now, I am doing really well in my dispatch center, but I am an, an anomaly for sheriffs in the state of California. Because? <clears throat> because other counties my size are having a terrible time recruiting dispatchers. They're having a terrible time um, getting people through the training. Um, I'm sitting at almost full in my dispatch center, and I, I want all the listeners to know I still have two slots I'd like to fill. <laughs> and so please, please apply with me. There you go. Um, and... When we get to the point where, you know, different departments get short on personnel, those personnel become extremely valuable and extremely expensive. So if we can combine dispatch centers, and that's something that I will have to work with the police chiefs and, and city managers on, um, we can save a lot of money in the county and have a deeper pool COVID showed us where our weak places were. Um, when you have COVID run through a dispatch center, then suddenly you've got four people left to handle, you know, 28 shifts. Um, two at night, two in the morning, um, seven days a week. And so each one of these each one of these districts or cities is having to do that individually. Yes. So what you're suggesting would be like just one dispatch center for the whole county and you could shift in people that are trained from these different areas yes yes and, is that doable i other counties have done it okay uh, it's always created a uh, a cost savings 
Um, I believe based if it's done correctly, it creates better service for the public. But I think that what we're going to have to do is <clears throat> I'm going to have to speak with, excuse me for a moment. I am getting over a cold that really knocked me down for about 10 days. It was well, terrible. I'm glad we're doing Zoom on this one. I don't need any colds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen some some counties where it has been a, a really, really good thing. I've seen some counties where it hasn't worked out so well. And so I think hmm. that if we go out and we really look at this and we figure out where the potholes are, then we can dodge them. Um, that would be nice. I mean, I guess the only thing I've always wondered, but now with GPS and all these high-tech things we have, it used to be if I called from Anderson Valley, who, you know, Howard Forrest may not know the back roads and all the incidentals in the valley, so it was like, ooh, I'd rather talk to somebody local, like call the fire department that knows me, who knows where my ranch is, and they can get there. So, but I guess we've kind of gotten over that with all the technology now and all the GPS stuff, so... That, well, but um, the names of the roads still a problem. Yeah, still yeah. Well, I, I will say that most, um, a lot of that has been, not a lot of it, but a big chunk of that has been taken care of or moved ahead with uh, marking for fire departments. With the whole fire scares we've had, a lot of the uh, fire council and the fire departments have been pushing for people to get their their. Uh, uh, the numbers on the end of their driveways, get more road signs on the dirt roads. So I know it's not perfect yet, but it has moved a lot further than it was, say, five years ago. So Way, way better than what it was five years ago. Because after the 2017 wildfires uh-huh. and 2019, 2021, I'm, we've had all of these different issues and it has become so real to people. And when you look at the terrible stuff that we went through in 2017 yeah. versus last year, no loss of life. Yeah, uh, That is, I, I would love to pat myself on the back and say, boy, I did that. It wasn't me. It was the public. No, everybody stepped up. Everybody has really stepped up with getting um, getting on maps, getting your fire departments informed, and all of that. You know, as we're talking about this whole thing with disasters and stuff, you said you've moved, so it's OES's Office of Emergency Services. Um, you've moved them to a different department. Are they getting the? Re I know they were when I talked to Brent. Brent has left. Blazer has left. I'm not sure who's in charge of it now. Um, are they at a better spot with their equipment set up so we're we're set to go if there's some terrible thing that happens this winter? Yeah, yeah. I think that they're sitting at a really good spot right now. Okay. Um, Darcy Anthill, our CEO, is, is still our OES director from Mendocino County. I'm, I'm her deputy director. Okay. Uh, Garrett James is, uh, is our OES coordinator, um, and he's doing an excellent job. Really incredibly educated young man um, with quite a bit of experience, and I want to thank Brent Blazer for being able to get him, you know, get his feet underneath him. Um, and I think that we're looking pretty good, but once again, all of this requires cooperation from everybody participating and the public did a lot of the heavy lifting for us last year. And granted, we put out a lot of information and a lot of training, um, fire safe councils have been incredible, but everybody's taking it seriously and everybody's looking out for their neighbors. It's true. We really have upped through these disasters. We've really upped our emergency services, services and uh, the chain of command and the avenues, I think, for notifying and that. 
especially with the Nexel and all these alerts that go to everybody's phones and stuff. So it seems like we're moving ahead on that. Um, one of the other things, I'm going to take calls. I'm going to open up the lines if you don't mind. Okay. 895-2448. And now you have to do that 707, of course, to get in if you have a question for the sheriff. Um, one of the other things you're going to be able to start doing because COVID's come down, is used to do community meetings. You yes. go, I know you go down on the South Coast. Um, you've been up in Covalo. I think you've got, you had actually scheduled community meetings. Are you going to be picking those back up again? The yeah, day? I always in- do the MAC meetings on, uh, you know, we have the Laytonville MAC, we have the Covalo MAC, Hopland MAC, Redwood Valley MAC, oh. and then the uh, Wallala MAC. I'm sorry, I've got a little cough here. And then, of course, Point Arena City Council meeting because we contract with the city of Point Arena for policing. And uh, I usually try to do those meetings in person um, now that we're stepping away a little bit from uh, Zoom. Um, Because, honestly, one of the coolest things about being the sheriff, and I'm going to tell on myself here, is getting to go to these different places in Mendocino County. And I hate to say it, but there's a lot of times in August when uh, Walala is a really, really nice place to be. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't it's 112 100, inland. Yeah. Uh-huh. 112 degrees yeah. And, and I get to go to Walala. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. It's 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 probably one of the greatest things about being the sheriff. And my grandmother, she's buried right there uh, in uh, Anchor Bay. My grandfather's buried in uh, in Manchester. And, and it causes me to be able to stop. And, and I use my little computer there to catch up on my emails, my phone calls and everything. It keeps me connected with the places where I need to be. Well, and also, I think it's a lot. I know people, a lot of people are feel comfortable with Zoom and all of that. But I think that there's still a lot of people in these smaller outlying communities that just don't do Zoom. And yeah. when you show up in person and they can come and see you and talk to you, I think it's I think it's important to keep that person to person connection in our community. So, all right. Somebody's trying to get in to call. So let's see if we can get to this caller on the line this morning. Good morning, caller. You're on the air with the sheriff. Joe, it's your question. Hi there. Hello. Great show. Thank you. Thank you for having the sheriff on and for the good work. Oh, thank you. The sheriff department does, and KZYX does. So my question is, why why does the sheriff? Uh, why do you think that there's a difficult difficulty in terms of hiring for dispatch? Is it the hours? Is it the training? Um, you know, a lot of us call dispatch and. We really don't know what the behind the scenes is, so can you talk about that? Great, Thanks thank you. Answer. You take it off the air. Great. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I would think, you know, having watched, you know, different TV shows, I would think it'd be potentially traumatic to have to deal with these emergency situations where you've got to talk people through maybe a heart attack or a stroke. And, you know, um, what does it take to be a dispatch person? Well, <clears throat> One of the hardest things to do when you're hiring these these folks is find a person with enough life experience because one of the most important things that we see in our dispatchers is they've got to stay calm in situations where they can't put their hands on it and stop it. And they're walking people through the steps to keep themselves safe. And it takes life experience. It takes empathy. It takes a lot of different things in their personality. And the other thing is, 
the issues with personnel, they're not just mine. They're the entire county. They are restaurants. Every restaurant that I walk into, I'm seeing a shingle on the door saying help wanted. We are we are suffering a great big glut right now of a lack of personnel throughout the state of California and the United States. And the other thing is, for many, many years, we've been telling kids, your only avenue is to go to college. You know, well, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of really, really people who have done super well for themselves, who are carpenters, contractors, journeymen, uh, concrete people. Uh, they didn't go to college, but they do just fine for themselves in the trades. And being a, a deputy sheriff or a dispatcher, you're not required to have um, a college behind you. But at the same time, you're required to have a lot of skills that most people don't think about when they get up in the morning. Oh, and so you don't have so you don't have to have a college degree. Do do you have to have some um, junior college or prep work for that? I mean, or just would life experience from somebody who's been a nurse or a doctor or whatever technician, EMT? I mean, is that they could walk in and apply? Yeah, and, oh. and it's super helpful to have served in EMS or something like that, but it's not required. We require a high school diploma, and then we require uh, continued training every year. A lot of our deputies have college degrees. Um, a lot of our corrections officers have college degrees and are working on their college degrees. But then we send most people through that training, and by the time that a young man gets out of um, uh, the police academy, they've got about 30 college units. And a lot of them finish up their associate's degree or they will have an associate's degree before they go. And then they work on their bachelor's. Um, and so it's that education. But in the other counties where they're having these problems, a lot of it is because, it, let's face it, Mendocino County pays pretty well. Some counties don't. Oh. And you have people who could go to work working fast food making $17 an hour as opposed to going to work in a very stressful job like a dispatch center making $14 to $15 an hour, they will choose that other job for the $2 an hour. So what um, what is the pay? I mean, is that about right, $14? I I've just, oh, no, no. Now that we, you say we, that, they must pay be... much greater than that, but okay. a, lot of the, a lot of the small counties, they're in that $15 oh, in that, an hour range. Yeah, that would make it... Yeah, I would... I would um, I would think that'd be a very stressful do job and you have to be cool under pressure for that kind of a thing and not get wrapped up in the, you know, have that distance so you could stay sane when you're talking to people in these crises. Uh, folks, 707-895-2448 if you'd like a question or a comment to the sheriff of Mendocino County. So we're just about ready to wrap up the new year. Um, what's on? What what haven't we talked about? I'm looking at this end of the year thing. I know one of the things that jumped out at me in your end of the year letter, which, like I said again, folks, go to the websites to look at this or Facebook at uh, Mendocino Sheriff. Um, we've got a lot of outstanding cases. Yeah. I mean, one of the one that kind of bothers me, and I just can't believe no things come in on it, is the Britain. Um, Kadisha's case, yeah. Yeah, up in Covalo, there's like a $50,000 uh, reward for anybody leading, any information leading to the discovery of where, I'm imagining it where she, where her body is now, I don't know, I hate to say that, but it's been, is that three years out? Yes, it'll be four come March. Will it be? Yeah, and there's, no, even with that bigger reward, there's no, nothing happening, no, no information coming in, which just, uh, just is astounding. 
to me. We've, we've enlisted assistance from the FBI. Yeah. A friend of mine in the BIA um, brought some investigators up to to assist us on this. Um, we've got probably more personnel hours into that case than any case I've ever seen in Mendocino County, but we will solve it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of these cases are, I have to say, and I'm not, I'm being realistic about it in some way, I'm not pessimistic, because I'm an optimist, but I think a lot of these cases with the rural Mendocino County and the the ravines and the backwoods and stuff, it's when they come across, you know, skeletal and they come across remains is when the majority of these cases are solved, um, which is really, really sad. Um, and yeah, I was, I can't remember the number, let me see what I said, were there how many were outstanding blew me away that how many outstanding cases we had well between known homicides and and missing persons you know my detectives are sitting on you know 40 60 cold cases yeah that's Uh, what i was thinking i saw that there's there's a lot of cold cases in mendocino county and uh, kadisha's case is not a cold case we're still taking in information on it on a pretty frequent basis, um, and we've enlisted the assistance of these these other agencies. And God bless them. You know, every time that we ask for assistance, for some reason, our small counties seem to get it. Um, oh, that's good to know. It is. It is. And I I think that you know some of these agencies they go to the San Francisco Police Department or the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office, and they see. 150 detectives sitting around uh, working on something they're not as apt to jump in and give assistance as when they show up and i've got four and a sergeant and they say wow these guys are getting a lot done with very few people the bia um, i've got some good friends who work there and anytime that i pick up the phone and call they treat me in the exact same fashion that our tribes do anytime i've ever asked for anything from one of our tribes they have been there for me yeah, it's this relationship you set up. I mean, it's totally relationship right when it gets to the BAI and FBI and the state. Yeah. So we got another caller we're going to take care of right now. Good morning, caller. You're on the air with the sheriff. Hello, hello? Oh, sounds like an underwater dive. Okay, we're going to drop that one. Um, you know, another thing you mentioned in your letter uh, that I don't think about very often, but it's a big part of yours is the coroner's report. You do a lot. Of, you have you you were in charge of the coroners. You have how many how many people are actually in that department or work that work that line? So every deputy sheriff in Mendocino County is also a deputy coroner. Ah, okay. And then I have a chief deputy coroner um, who also runs my investigations division, and I have a coroner's technician, um, and that young lady basically does a lot of the follow-up with the doctor's offices and whatnot, getting records and things like that. Now, we have seen it as high as 475 coroner's cases, I believe, last year. Yeah, I see that number. And then um, this year, you know, we're down under 400, but we're still in the high threes. Um, And by the time that we finish up the year, I could not even give you a guesstimate on where we're going to land until, you know, January 12th or 15th or something like that. But we're seeing... Uh, an increase in coroner's cases where we used to have 210, 230, something like that per year. Now we're up to 475, and a lot of it is fentanyl overdose. A lot of it is suicide, and those are, those are the things that is a crying shame uh, because those things are truly preventable. So basically, my knowledge says that, my experience says that if somebody has not seen a doctor within a week or doesn't have a regular doctor and there's a sudden death, 
you know, heart attack or whatever, it automatically goes to the coroner. But if they'd seen a doctor and there's some record of recent history of interaction, then that doesn't go to the coroner, correct? Yeah, yeah. And okay. because, you know, mortal man's been living and dying since the dawn of time. Yeah, right. None of us are going to get out of this alive. Nope. Uh, however, if you haven't seen a doctor within 21 days, ah, 21. that was not expected. Uh, if you died of a communicable disease, if you died of aspiration, um, those all become coroner's cases. Uh, you know, of course, homicides are all coroner's cases. Right. Overdoses are all coroner's cases. These are unexpected events. But if, it, you know, like I lost my father back in November, and um, he was he was suffering from uh, multiple myeloma, and we knew just about how long he had and whatnot. And uh, that was not a coroner's case. Death was expected, and his doctor had just seen him, and he explained to all of us, you know, he's got a few days left. Um, right. Take care of what you need to take care of, but he's had a good run. So this this whole thing with the increase in the coroners and having to do all these autopsies and things, that must have really hit your budget. Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking about that. I mean, that's a bit, that's a substantial increase, 400 and some cases a year. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of, lot of money. And these, these cases, you know, they take anywhere, if a deputy sheriff gets called, they, and sometimes, you know, it's not at a hospital, it's at a home. It's, they take anywhere between six and nine hours per day. Wow. Per, per case. And so that deputy is tied up for almost his entire shift. Yeah. And then we've got pathology reports that we pay for. Um, the uh, the uh, pathologist, he does his work and gives us the, uh, he gives us the cause. However, the sheriff has to find the manner. And so if we have a homicide, the, the uh, pathologist will say that he died of, you know, blood pressure loss due to a gunshot wound. But I have to say, through an investigation, whether it was homicide, whether it was suicide, whether it was accidental. Yeah, Yeah, let me point out to everybody who's listening, that's also one of those budgetary line items that uh, nobody can predict how much it's going to take every year because it's an up and down thing, kind of like with murder cases and overtime. So there's another impact on your budget that you literally have no control over. So I I do have to say, watching the sheriff's budget all the years I have, it's interesting to see how much you don't have control over that you have to pay out of your budget or we the county have to pay out of our overall budget it's um i think of all the departments maybe the maybe the da's department but the sheriff's department more than any of the other departments has less control over what gets what what comes at them (laughs) and what they have to pay for i will say yeah and that that directly affects the district attorney it does yeah You know, people don't realize it. Um, You you have to understand that every crime that occurs, the district attorney is, he's in charge of making sure that the victim gets justice. And um, suspects, they can go get a private attorney. They can go um, hire an attorney that they know, or they can get a public defender. But the district attorney cannot just go get a private attorney to prosecute cases. He's responsible for 100% of the victims. And you know, that's all of the police departments in the county who are coming forward with cases, as well as Fish and Game, as well as the Highway Patrol. It's all of these agencies that are bringing cases before the DA. Yeah, and I want, I want to give a shout out to the Sheriff's Department. Um, I know people in Anderson Valley were really happy. We had an armed robbery in Boonville a week or two ago. And you actually caught the guy in New York, ready to board a plane to go to Argentina. Um, 
you know, it was really incredible. Everybody was really shook up. I don't know if we've ever had an armed robbery or if it has been. It's been many, many years in the Valley. But uh, everybody wanted me to give you a shout out to your department and doing a really great job uh, taking, taking care of that because everybody was really scared for a while. I got to tell you, a lot of people were locking and loading. So, all right. Any last, any last words for the end of the year, Matt Kendall? No, I just wanted to really, truly reach out and thank everybody, especially at the Christmas season. I always say that Mendocino County does it a little better because I think that we do. Um, people supported our deputies and our work in a fashion in Mendocino County that I don't know other sheriffs get that same support that I do, but I appreciate it. And, and it's not about me. It's about these deputies that are serving us. And it's it's humbling. I just wanted to thank everybody in the county for treating these folks good and and i i want to make sure that it goes both directions we want to treat the public as good as what they will allow us to do well matt thanks for a great year i look forward to talking in with you in the new year i want everybody to be safe uh, for the new year i'm going to choose and you have a great year i'm again sorry to hear about your father's passing but he had a good strong life so you take care and i'll see you in the new year take care karen thank you so much you bet talk to you soon this has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.